welcome back to our podcast and today we're going to be talking about some very interesting elements. So to start off, Annika is going to go over one of the ones she chose. Alright, so I'm going to start talking about cesium. Um, so cesium is element 65 of the periodic table. Uh, it's an alkali metal. Um, it is not the most reactive but it is like the second most reactive, basically. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So as you go down the periodic table, the reactivity increases and the alkalis are like more the most reactive. And since cesium is like second to the bottom, it's one of the more reactive ones. So reactive, in fact, that if you're trying to find um, pure cesium, you can't. Good luck with that. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, something I find really, really interesting, or just kind of funny, more of funny, is because it's so reactive. When they're storing it, um, storing pure cesium, they e- they have to store it in either this layer of kerosene or mineral oil on top of it being in a vacuum so that it doesn't react with any of the water in the air or any moisture from any humidity in the air. Because um, uh, when it... If it reacts, it's uh, pretty explosive because it's it's yeah, it's just so incredibly reactive. It's it's really fun. If you want to YouTube some cesium things, go ahead. Um, it's kind of hard to find cesium. You'll find more of the other ones because of that. It's so reactive. You can't really find it. It's not really used for much, but one of the more things that's more commonly known for being used in is um atomic clocks it's very kind of the most reliable in terms of like vibrating or whatever so the actual i don't know how to say this but the actual um like definition of a second is actually defined by a certain kind of action of the cesium atom so it's it's really really big number but i believe it's if i can remember my fifth grade math correctly it should be nine billion one hundred ninety two million six hundred and thirty one thousand seven hundred and seventy times um is when the cesium atom would vibrate between energy levels and that is like the technical definition of a second and it is based on the cesium atomic clocks, which are like the most accurate clocks because it's based on the vibration of a cesium atom and it only changes by one second, like every a hundred million years. So yeah, those are the most accurate clocks and they're based on this one singular element. Okay, so I chose lithium, which is element number three. It's if you go below hydrogen, it's right there. It's the first column. And then it gets its name from lithos, which is Greek for stone. It's found in virtually all rocks, but it's in very small amounts. But it's very reactive because it's in the alkali metals group. And they use it in a lot of treatments for things like bipolar disorder. And they don't exactly know how it works, but they know it does work with the central nervous system, like the brain and the spinal cord. And it can also affect your kidney and thyroid function because you're ingesting metal. That's not something your body was exactly made to do exactly. And it's stored in mineral oil sometimes. And 
another interesting fact. I just have a lot of interesting facts, and then I'm going to go on to the battery. But um, it has one of the lowest melting points of all the metals, but it has the highest melting and boiling point of all the alkali metals, which I just thought was kind of cool. And it's one of only three metals that can float on water. The others are sodium and potassium. It's sometimes stored in mineral oil to keep it from reacting with oxygen, but usually it's found in petroleum jelly just because it's not very dense and it will float on the mineral oil, which makes it very hard to keep it from reacting with the oxygen if it's floating on it. So it's usually in petroleum jelly because it's just easier. It's not exactly soft like you would think when you hear the word soft, but it is soft for a metal. And the lithium ion batteries actually won the Nobel Prize in 2019. Okay, so the way that lithium ion batteries were kind of invented starts with someone named Stanley Whittingham. And what he did is he created a cathode. Well, what he did is he started creating the first battery, right? In your regular battery, you have a cathode and an anode. And the cath with the one he invented was the cathode, and it's the positive part of the battery. And he made it from titanium disulfide. And there were little spaces in it to keep lithium ions, which will be important later when I talk about how batteries actually work. The anode that he made was made partially from metallic lithium, which as we talked about before is very reactive. That's why it's stored in petroleum jelly. So it wasn't really the best because it was also explosive and you don't tend to really want an explosive battery because it's just not a good idea. In 1980, John Goodenough, I'm sorry if I pronounced his name wrong. The way that I found to pronounce his name was John Goodenough. In 1980, he tried using an oxide instead of a sulfide for the anode. So he exchanged titanium disulfide for cobalt oxide, so he used cobalt oxide instead. It created much more electricity, almost two times as much electricity as Whittingham's battery did. His battery created just a little over two volts of electricity, while Goodenough's could give up to four volts, but not over, so it was almost twice as much. He didn't really do much with the anode. So what's interesting about the cathode and the anode is while you are using the battery, so it's not charging, it's the charge is being taken out of it, sort of. The electricity is kind of leaving it. The positive part is the cathode and the negative part is the anode. However, when you are charging the battery, the positive part is now the anode and the negative part is now the cathode. So that does change, which is a little confusing when you think about it, but it will make sense kind of when you learn about it because the electrons are kind of moving around. They're not exactly staying in one spot. There's not one exactly that's positive or negative, depending on if you're charging it or getting rid of the energy, that should be how it works. Okay, so I also, I'm sorry if I pronounced this wrong, but it was the most common one. There were, there were many options though. So in 1985, Akira Yoshino created the first commercially viable battery. So he replaced the original anode, which had been the very reactive lithium, with a petroleum coke, which is like the cathode's cobalt oxide in the sense that it can have those lithium ions inside of it. And there's also another part in a battery called the electrolyte, and it is this kind of, you can almost think of it as the space between the cathode and the anode. And it's what carries the positively charged ions from one to another, depending on if it's getting charged or not, which would, yeah. 
but it's what carries the ions from one to another depending on if it's getting charged or if it's being used. And you can also think there's another important part of the battery which is called, well, it's a circuit, but what you can think of it as is it's connecting the top of an anode to a top of a cathode. So they're basically connecting each other. It's over the electrolyte. So you have the electrolyte in the bottom next to the cathode and the anode. Then you have this wire above them that's connecting both of them at the top. And this is where the electrons go. So basically that's how the battery was invented. And as you can see, it's very important because there's lithium ions in it, but how does it actually work? Well, here's where we start actually understanding what I've been saying this whole time and how it actually helped. Well, how a battery works is when it's completely charged, all of the lithium ions are in the anode. And they're not charged, they're not positive, they're not negative. And how it works is the lithium ion splits off an electron. And the electron goes through the circuit to the cathode. While the lithium ion, which is now positively charged, goes through the electrolyte into the cathode. And so when, when the battery is charged, you have the lithium ions in the anode. And by the time you run out of energy, all the lithium ions are now in the cathode. And so to charge it up, as you can imagine, you just take the electrons, split them off again, and you just reverse the process. So then you bring the lithium ions back to the anode, and then you can start over again. It's just, it's a really cool invention because they had to find a way to store lithium ions. And they really did. They found cathodes and anodes that could keep the lithium ions in place. And just the way that they, I don't even know how they thought of that. Just, it's so interesting and how they thought to split off an electron and then just transport it to the other side of the battery while moving the lithium ion and to somehow create energy with that. It's just amazing to me. Okay, so um, the next one that I want, or the last one I wanna talk about is radium because radium is, honestly, there's some really, really cool stuff that goes into radium. Um, so radium isn't a alkali metal, it's an alkali earth metal. It's LN88, it's on the final bottom row. Um, it was discovered in 1898 by Marie Curie and her husband Pierre. The two of them, we, we love them. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Marie Curie actually won the Nobel Prize for her discovery in this. And then she later got another Nobel Prize in chemistry. She's the only, I believe she's the only person in addition to, um, well, she's the only person to actually have two Nobel Prizes, I believe, or have one in physics and one in chemistry. One of that. Even better, she's a woman, so the fellow females. <laughs> um, but it was, it's a very radioactive, um, elements. They didn't know this at the time. Well, they didn't know the dangers of radioactivity. They did, they did know it was radioactive. So when they discovered it, they um, had, they were studying this uranium ore and they had extracted the uranium from the ore, but they found that the, the, the rock itself from the ore was still radioactive. I didn't know why. So they looked at it and they found barium, which is directly above radium on the periodic table. And then they also found this unknown substance, which Marie Curie and her husband Pierre discovered as radium. Um, but the really, really interesting thing that I want to talk about with radium has to do with, you may have heard it depending on how much you know about some history and some scientific history. 
but has to do with radium girls. So in the early 1900s-ish, around mid-1900s, they would actually use radium in paint because it was radioactive, it would glow in the dark. It's a very known property of radium, it's really cool. So what they would do is they would put radium in paint and then they would paint clocks. So they would paint the numbers or the hands so that you could see in the dark what time it was. Um, it was honestly, it's a pretty cool and honestly a pretty practical idea and thing to, I want to say invent, but they didn't really invent it, just kind of a fun application. The problem was they didn't really know about the dangers of radioactivity. They actually thought that radium itself was very healthy and good for you. So what a lot of these girls would do is, well, first of all, in order to get a really fine tip on the brush, what they would do is they would um, put the paintbrush to their lips and they would press it down to get a really fine tip with the radium paint. And if you know anything about Vincent Van Gogh, a little art historical thing for you, he went a little crazy because there was lead in the paint when he would do similar things. He went crazy, he cut off his ear, fun stuff. Um, but these girls were then absorbing the radium like they were ingesting it unknowingly as they were doing that. Um, and radium can also be absorbed in the body simply just by breathing it in. And they were exposed to it all day long, painting these um, clocks. In addition, it was also really, really, they realized it was dark and it was cool. So they would play around. They would like paint their fingernails with it. They would paint their teeth with it. And, you know, they'd go home with their significant other and there are funny stories of them, you know, with glow-in-the-dark teeth freaking people out, just having fun out, you know. But what happened was a couple years, well, a few years later is they started to really see the effects of this radium on these girls. So because radium is an alkaline earth metal, it actually mimics a lot of the same properties um, and the body often confuses it with calcium, which is very, very important for bone strength. So what the body did is it basically confused radium with calcium and it thought of it as radium, treated it as calcium, and it was then kind of stuck in their bones. And after a while, as it decayed and all this radium built up in their bones, their bones became very brittle, very fragile, and there are really sad and horror stories of women who would just be walking across like their living room and their bones would just like crumble and shatter. Um, there's even this one story of this one woman who had a really, really bad jaw, like her dental problems. Um, and her dentist or her doctor, I don't remember who specifically it was, um, looked at her jaw and the only way to actually fix it was to remove it. But because everything was so incredibly destroyed by this radium, he was able to just grabbed the jaw in her hands and in his hands and just pull it out. That so, is, yeah. That's fun. Um, I believe they were actually sued for later on for all like the health damages. Um, so there, there's, you know, 
some legal action that happened, but in terms of radium today, it's typically um, a lot of radioactive elements are being used um, in tr treatment of cancer, and they're actually using some of the same um, ways that it like, you know, the body thinks of it as calcium and it goes into the bones. Um, they're actually figuring out ways to potentially use that in specific cancer treatments to actually use it to their advantage. I don't know the um, specifics of that, but it's pretty cool. And also, because it's the, just another fun factoid is any of those radioactive clocks that exist, any of the radioactive samples that Marie Curie had, they're still radioactive to this day. They're still sitting there just chilling. It's a little scary now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast and join us next week and we will be discussing some interesting transition metals.